new beginning. Welcome to the Group Dreams Podcast. My name is Sean Ram alongside Dr. Joshua Black. Uh, it's a beautiful day to be here podcasting and happy to do it. On today's episode, we have with us Krista Brenner, and she is a Thana doula and of life doula, a grief and bereavement coach, funeral celebrant, Indian head massage facilitator, recreation therapist, Reiki master teacher, and crystal therapist. She is educated in thanatology, funeral pre-planning, and funeral services. From this experience and education she has obtained, she created Soul Circle, a company focused on these disciplines. And she's also the Kitchener-Waterloo co-representative for the Bereavement Ontario Network here in Canada. Krista, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Thank you. I know we've we've chatted prior a couple of years back, so it's exciting to have you actually on the podcast to get to know you a little bit more. And we haven't talked in a little bit, and I'm curious now with the pandemic going on, and so you have a, a ton of different areas that you focus on. I'm really curious about the end-of-life doula and maybe how that's changed since maybe when you first took it to now because of everything that's going on in the pandemic. Yeah, so I think the the biggest change, I suppose, through the pandemic is people want to stay connected to people that they know and people that they feel trusted to. And I had the absolute honor of working as a doula with actually a friend of my son. I got connected with them on that level. So my son's, one of his best friends, his grandmother was dying and so it was an honor to be able to connect on that level because it came through the connection piece and through the pandemic it was because of that that I got in further with the family and connected further with the family and um, yeah so the the I my role with it was following the family while the mother was alive and connecting with the husband who was supporting the the family and the husband, it was just a beautiful, beautiful family to follow and to be part of because starting in March of last year, everything was shut down. And this poor husband who was dealing and helping his wife care for his wife was doing everything on his own because there were no outside support services. So he was, she was part of day programs, which I, as a rec therapist, I'm familiar with day programs within um, Kitchener Waterloo. And so all the programs were shut down, everything was canceled, and he was suffering from major caregiver burnout. And it was a huge relief for me to be able to offer that level, offer that level of support, to be able to offer respite, and to be able to offer one-on-one levels of care and support with his wife, and be able to listen to him, and listen to his needs, and the things that he needed to be able to care for his wife. It drastically changed from clients that I had had prior to COVID, just for the simple reason that you need to, we needed to be able to have that trust level prior. It's interesting because like when you look at it, you, you do realize that because a lot of maybe other services weren't provided, the burnout for caregivers would probably be even higher than normal. Correct. Correct. The, the caregiver burnout is at a, an alarming rate right now because every there hasn't been a day program to open since March of 2020. So you have people that had respite care and now there is nothing. 
So you have people who are have dementias or any other elderly disability and they can't, they don't have that break. They're on full time. And so I was able to offer that level of care and that level of support, which was so badly needed for that family. I think too, I think it's good to explain. Could you explain what a end of life doula is and what they do? Sure. So uh, end of life doula is somebody that cares for the the person and the family. So the name doula, basically the essence of it is servant. And when um, you're serving a family, you have to look at the needs of the family, the emotional, the spiritual, the, the physical aspects of the whole dynamics within that person. And really... Um, tapping into that and really helping within the core of the the issues that are going on and really helping people work through grief because grief will come beforehand. You'll have anticipatory grief that will come full on with a lot of people, especially if they're dying at home. And a lot of family members aren't familiar with exactly what to expect and all that anticipation. So my role as a end-of-life doula is really helping to regulate those emotions and really helping to be that third-party navigator outside of their their little system, their circle, and coming in and being that guiding light for people. Well, that's really beautiful. And I'm curious how you got into the field because you do that and you also do the grief stuff and the funeral stuff. And so I'm curious about your was it loss? Did you have loss prior to this that allowed you to want to step into this field? Yes. So my initial loss happened in year 2000. I had just graduated from school for uh, recreation, uh, therapeutic recreation. And my six months after I graduated, my brother died of a car accident and my only sibling. And through there, I really wanted to get into the funeral business. But I also became extremely almost mesmerized with comas and where do you go when you're in a coma? There's a whole other aspect to that dynamic that I was just mesmerized with. So I worked for 15 years as a recreation therapist and I worked with acquired brain injuries because there was that whole dynamic of uh, comas that was just fascinating to me. And in 2017, I, through a matter of Three months, I lost both of my grandparents. It was an honor for me to have 41 years with my grandparents. Not many people can say that. And through that, I was extremely close to them. Once they had passed away, I really wanted to focus all my energy in 2017 on working within the funeral industry. Where I came out with a hiccup within the whole thing is I found out I had a allergy to formaldehyde. And so therefore, being a funeral director had could, was not a possibility. I saw a CBC episode on what a Saint Adula was, and that greatly intrigued me because it was the holistic aspect of death and the holistic aspect of caring for the dying. Through that, I did my research on other Saint Adulas that were in Ontario, which then led me down different paths. and. That led me through the energy healing aspect of it and studying thanatology. And I really wanted to be at the absolute best to be a servant for a family. That's beautiful. So your heart's in the right place and just trying to figure out the best way to, to live in this world. But yeah, it's sad when, you're, when our dreams 
don't become a reality, right? Like you want to work in the funeral home and then you realize the allergy. And what was that process like for you? Because I know change is difficult for many people. So for you, like, did it really crush you? Like, what was that experience like? It was hard. It was extremely hard. I had a lot of other things kind of going on at the same time. So it made for even more of an emotional crisis. But I think in essence, it, I believe, I strongly believe that through any hard times, you're going to find the light. You just need to find the light within those hard times. And to be able to, I kind of realized in the end of 2017 that my goal, as crappy and as horrible as I felt, was to help somebody who felt just as horrible and crappy as I felt. And really wanting to learn everything that I could to be able to help people feeling the similar way that I was feeling. Yeah, just really, really, I think through anything that I've had through my losses, really looking at that whole aspect of when things happen and when, you know, that fork in the road happens, looking for the light side of it as opposed to focusing on the darkness that it follows. Focusing on the light is my biggest, kind of my biggest journey through all of it. So I want to go back then to when your first loss, which is of your brother. And what was that like for you? Because you're still young. How old were you when that happened? I was 23 when my brother died, and that definitely changed my direction, everything in life. So I am another part of who I am. I'm extremely allergic to the sun, and I grew up always being allergic to the sun. And so what my goal was when I graduated therapeutic recreation was I was going to save enough money and move to BC. I was going to study herbology, and I was moving to the coast. And my brother died right kind of in the middle of me saving my money and it grounded me and changed everything that I was doing. And it really um, made me think and made me focus on, I guess, kind of the, I I had harder to, sorry, hard to explain, kind of the, the energy that was attached to having a significant loss. And that was uh that was a big one because I now had to be the emotional support for my parents. I now had to be all of those things that weren't part of my life before. So it was a, a huge shift, a massive shift that it, it followed me and it, it changed everything that who I was and who I wanted to be. But it, I didn't take it as a bad thing. It just had to had to change. It had to shift. And so what was your brother's name? My brother's name was Terry. So what were some moments that you remember that are meaningful to you with you and Terry? Oh, goodness. Yeah, I think just he was he was four years younger than me. And he I remember when he was born and I looked at my mom and said, take him back. <laughs> and that was my big one. And I'm like, wait a second, you're you're going to kill my buzz here. I don't like this. But after I, like, he was part of my life, that was my little brother. Like, that was, he was, followed me around everywhere. He was um, my shadow for years, for years. And as we grew, we became closer and we became extremely bonded on that level. And it was amazing because my brother had a lot of really close friends that were all part of who he was. And it's amazing. So 20 years uh, last year is how long ago that he passed away. And 
all of his friends that were around 20 years ago are still around us and they still like come i had uh, an event um to celebrate his 20th memorial and it was amazing the amount of friends that showed up for that event it was beautiful just to have that for my parents was amazing yeah my my brother and i were really close we had our moments definitely I think probably the the biggest memory I had with my brother was not long before he died. And he was extremely girl shy, extremely girl shy. He was 20 when he died and was extremely shy. And I drove him. He insisted on his midnight runs and he didn't have a license. So he made me drive him to McDonald's at like 1130 at night. And I drove through the drive-thru and the the girl that he had a crush on just happened to be working on the microphone at the other end. Well, I looked at him and I he was like slid down completely in the car, sitting on the floor of my car. He was not a little guy, six foot two, and completely down on the floor. I'm like, whoa, <laughs> what is going on here? But yeah, just extremely shy, quiet person. And just, but yeah, that made me laugh because I was like, what happened to you? <laughs> Where did you go? Oh, that's so cute. And uh, it's it's those little things that we remember. And I'm really glad that you guys uh, have memorial services and celebrate his life like that. And it's really cool to hear that a lot of the friends that he had back then are still staying connected with you guys. That's That's awesome. It's amazing. Like we have, he had, it's amazing for somebody that I really didn't think talked to a whole lot of people because of his shyness. He has really amazing friends and I have the absolute honor of living next to one and did not realize this when I bought my house that I live one of my, next to my, one of my brother's best friends. So it's, it's amazing to have the, the journey go along in life and know that I'm still connected to my brother in some capacity. Do you have yourself any type of I guess ritual or maybe trigger or maybe thing that helps you remember him or focus Uh, maybe there's something that you see on your walks maybe there's a color you associate with your brother um my brother was uh, because he was little for so long his nickname was toad and so when I see a toad that (laughs) is my memorization of my brother definitely (laughs) Yeah, That's so toad, for sure. Toad, six two toad. <laughs> <laughs> well, he was he did not grow until he was like nineteen years old. So like six months before he died, he started growing and grew to six foot two. Mm-hmm. Oh my goodness. That's a yeah, definitely a late spurt. Wow. Right. And my mom struggled because she had to buy all his clothes. <laughs> oh yeah, nothing's gonna fit. <laughs> I, no. You guys are probably sharing clothes up until then and then uh oh. things got different. Yeah. Yeah, he was my size. Yeah, and then just all of a sudden grew. People did not recognize him. Definitely. They were shocked. Mm-hmm. I'm curious if you've had any dreams of him since he's died. Since it's been 20, you said 20 years. Have you ever had a dream? I used to have a lot of dreams with my brother. And all my dreams were always outside. And we were always by a river were my dreams with my brother. And that was, I think, the biggest spot where he and I used to really connect is he fished and I would just sit and sit with him outside. I'd sit under a tree and I was his driving person, so I would be with him. But that's where my dreams always led to. And then they stopped and it was weird when they stopped because they stopped when my son was born in 2005. 
and I have not had a dream of him since then. But I did up until the time my, my son was born. Wow, that's so interesting when they actually stop. That's fascinating. So I'm curious now. <laughs> it makes me think a lot of things. How, <laughs> what, do you, what do you take that? Like, so how do you explain that? You know, I really didn't have an answer to it. And then when I was going through my training, my Sena Dula studies, I listened to one of my teachers who was Buddhist and explained the laws of the physical laws of karma and the spiritual laws of karma. And I was like godsmacked when I'm listening to them explaining the rules of karma within family. And I'm like, oh my gosh, maybe this explains a few of my different things that I've experienced or felt or all those different aspects. What the, the person explained was that when you die, your soul kind of goes into this system and you, you're kind of evaluated, you view your life, and then you transport. And if your family is a good family, then you go back to that family. I remember sitting there and just being like, wowed. Further to that aspect, the Buddhist had uh, said that people, when you die, the way you can kind of understand this greater, how you died in your previous life, is you have a birthmark in your current life to demonstrate how you did die. And my, my brother died from a car accident. He died in 2000. And he was alive for 36 hours in a coma, which makes me, that's where my coma uh, imagination went to. So from there, he, he died. And my brother died from a head injury, so a car accident. His head was shaved on his right side of his head, almost like right around his temple and down. And then at the base of his skull, he had a shunt put in. My son was born on August 5th of 2005 and my son now he's 15 he'll be 16 in August he cannot grow hair on the right side of his head it's almost like a it almost looks like a horn that is on his right side and he's got a bright red birthmark at the base of his skull so when I was listening to the Buddhist talk about the laws of karma and the birthmarks I was just in awe going oh my gosh my brother is my son what? <laughs> like, what the heck? That's so interesting. I've heard, you know, like that too. And there's different, some people like in other cultures will have dreams of deceased telling them who they're going to reincarnate as. Or I've also heard it's also that, you know, the behaviors or sort of birthmarks. I've heard that too. And so it's, it's very interesting. And so did you believe that before? Do you believe it now? Like, what are your thoughts on that? I really didn't pay any mind to it before. I had not thought about it. And as soon as I heard that, I was extremely open to that and really was mindful of that aspect, extremely mindful of that. And it made sense. It made perfect sense. And I know, for example, my brother, before he died, so a week before my brother died, he had... I woke up at six in the morning because his alarms were going off. He was not shutting them off. He was out, like out cold. And I got up and I woke him up and I said, what the heck is going on? Why aren't you getting out of bed? And he kind of woke up and shook and did this weird thing. And he said he had the strangest dream. 
he said he had a dream that there were all these bells and alarms and whistles and lights and he couldn't get up. He just couldn't move. He was frozen, couldn't function, couldn't turn anything off. And he woke up in this weird panic. And it is amazing because that was exactly how he died. He was in a car accident and he was ejected from the vehicle. And his, when he was found, he was found face down on the road. He was unconscious because nobody had thought to turn him over to open his airways. But he was laying down unconscious with police and ambulance, fire, everybody was there and he didn't he didn't wake up. So it was amazing how he he himself viewed it and he himself told us this dream a week prior to him dying. That's so interesting because we just had someone on, uh, Tara, which is the last podcast, who had these precognitive dreams, but she mentioned that her brother who died had this knowing that he wasn't going to live past a certain year and it mm. came to fruition. And so how do you, like, how do you make amends with that in your mind? Like, how do you see that? I guess because I think I always knew. And when I was little, I always, maybe because I was born in the seventies that I always knew something big was going to happen in 2000. And I just always had this in my heart and my soul. So when it did happen, it wasn't as, I guess it didn't, it, it shattered my world, but I got it because I'm like, wow, like we kind of knew this. It was almost like it, we, we imagined it to happen, but not willed it to happen. Yeah. And I, I think it, it was helpful. Just the fact that it was reassuring to know. And I remember my mom saying when I was a kid that she could never picture my brother old. It was just something that she she said, and she said, it's weird. I just can't picture it. I cannot picture him an old man. And it was just all these things that as I was growing, as I was learning life, that really, it, it yeah, it's just, you. I learned to, to kind of take it and, and go with it. But as much as it was earth shattering, it definitely was, was helpful to be able to kind of know that we had those intuitions about it. Yeah, it's always interesting when you have these moments, right, that change maybe how you see life, how you see yourself, and even the afterlife. And I think that's, that's you know, the beauty of of just living is that, you know, as long as you're open to it, you know, the world can surprise you on where it's going and, and, and what you believe and, and how life is. And, I, and as long as, it, as I always say, like, as long as it's helping you to become more loving and a better person, then I think it's great. And I'm, I'm happy that you've had those experiences and challenged sort of the way you saw things or other people have told you about, you know, life. So you can find your own path. And it seems that you you have <laughs> pretty well. And I think it's, you know, like too, looking looking back at those dreams that you had of your brother and just you guys fishing, I think that's such a beautiful, calming scene. Mm -hmm. Was there anything ever said in those dreams or is it just you watching him fish? I don't remember any communication. I just remember watching him fishing. Yeah, just really watching him, just being in that moment of watching him and really just being with him because my brother was not a talkative person while he was here. That was how I spent a lot of time was just watching him. I would read a book while he would fish. Yeah, so it was almost as if I was back in that, that time period. Do you think because you 
you kind of have an idea of, okay, maybe he's, his spirit is in my son. Would you, would you be open to having a dream of your brother or do you think that's not going to happen? Oh, I definitely would be open to having a dream of my brother. Most definitely. Most definitely. I wonder, can that, can that idea exist on two different planes? Can it be like this? Both? That I don't know. I would, I'm, I'm hoping it would, but I really don't. I hope you don't lose that part of you that's attached to that first body or on that level. I really hope you don't, but I have not experienced it since then. Well, that's really interesting, Sean. Cause like, if, if that, like, if the mind can't, you know, process that anymore, once that belief is formed, I wonder if like they would have to, the dreams of the son would actually be the dream of the brother. So have you had dreams of your son? <laughs> Even though he's alive. Oh. Like, because oh, that would, right? Because if you have that belief, then that dream of a son could represent the brother. Have you had a dream of your son? <laughs> I'm just curious. Uh, um, no, uh, not that I'm, I'm remembering or not that I'm kind of recalling right now that I've had a dream of my son, but I'm sure I have. Mm. But no, yeah, but you're right. You're very right. Just so interesting. I like, because we had someone else on the podcast, Molly Schultz, episode 152. Yeah. And she had a dream. She didn't believe in reincarnation. And then she had a dream where her dad basically told her that her new baby boy was, he was coming back as him. And that changed her belief. And she started to believe that. And it's, it's so it's really interesting how these, how these dreams can impact our belief system when we're awake. And it's not something that like, for me, I grew up in like a Christian home and um, it wasn't something that was taught a lot, but yeah, in a lot of other religions, it's the common thing that's taught. So, you know, it's, it's, it's cool to play around with that idea. And at the end of the day, I don't know, right? Like <laughs> I have no idea, but like if these dreams are doing that and I'm always curious about like, you know, there must be some benefit towards this in some way. It could be truth or it could be just some sort of other benefit in some way. Yeah. It kind of yeah. sits like uh, in the same box as I guess, precog dreams. Mm -hmm. Like we don't know. There's a lot of mystery around that. And especially with reincarnation in those stories, uh, there's a history there. There's, there's religions, you know, world religions that believe in this. And also a lot of reported cases of that happening. I remember reading a few months ago of different cases in India and even in the United States where, um, you know, children were born and as they're toddlers, they can tell, they tell stories about their past lives and they even have like evidence surrounding those stories like there was a a young baby a, a girl in india and she had said that well i was married to this person and i lived in this village and this village was like thousands of kilometers away from where she lived and it all checked out she's like oh yeah there's a red door and there's a gate and there's this and they they went back and they looked and a lot of that was true uh so it's there's so much mystery and and Hopefully we can figure it out someday. I don't know. <laughs> One day. <laughs> yeah, I saw that too. And yeah. the, there's that documentary on Netflix, Surviving Death. And it's in there, some of the, the cases oh, where, yeah, like there was this child who was a, he kept saying he was married to someone and was a pilot and on this ship and, you know, died right. here. And then they went and they checked it all out and it was it was true. So it's like, yeah, you just don't know. And that's why like life is such a mystery. And these dreams really provide one to sit in that mystery which i like and you know like for me like sitting in the mystery can be difficult but there's a, a place of joy and wonder 
there. It's like you're a child because you really don't know, but you're open. For sure. When my, so my daughter was born in 2012. And so I have not had a dream of my brother. Now, this is kind of something different. My mom was with me when my daughter was born. And my dad was left at home at his house. And my son um, was with my dad. And so my daughter was born at 1237 a.m. on March 4th of 2012. My dad was kind of upset that he was not included with all of it. He didn't go to the hospital. He didn't do anything. So he went to sleep and he was kind of grouchy. He was like, oh, I'm, I'm not included. And he, but he had the, the responsibility of my son within him. He woke up at 1236 and to a voice, an inner voice that was inside of him, he heard outside and it was a pop, wake up. Pop, wake up. My brother always called my dad Pop. He never called him dad. It was Pop. And so my dad got out of bed. He went into the living room and looked at the phone. And all of a sudden, he realized, he goes, oh, my gosh, my granddaughter is born. And as soon as that happened, my he heard this voice again and said, congratulations. And then it was gone. But he had this moment that woke him up that was weird, uh, just unexplainable. And when my mom come home from the hospital, it was about three or four in the morning when she got home and my dad was waiting up for her. And this is a guy who sleeps well. <laughs> and so he was waiting for her to come home. And he said, I have a granddaughter and she was born at 1237. My mom was just stunned. Like, how do you know this? And he says, Terry told me, I know it. So it was, it was bizarre that he, he woke up. It was from a dream that he woke up and he knew exactly what was going on and the whole timing of the whole aspect, even though he was nowhere near the hospital. <laughs> he was at home. That's so interesting. Well, and it goes with some of the dreams people do have of, people saying goodbye before they even know that the individuals died and so when right. they wake up they'll get a phone call or they'll reach out and the person had died you know in the night or something and so yeah it's just there's so much mystery uh, in this world and i was actually you know as my academic mind was uh working there <laughs> as you were talking about the, the dreams of your brother <laughs> i uh i'm curious because a good way to figure this out on <laughs> on like what actually is going on would be to also if you talk to your like his friends or your your parents and to see if they've had dreams of Terry after your your son was born because then you'll know if it's just you who just can't have that dream because of a belief versus other people and that would be a very interesting way to understand I guess the maybe some of the uh, why it's occurring in you. Hmm. Yeah, definitely. I definitely will ask them. That is a for sure. <laughs> I could do a case study on this. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's right. But that's cool. But yeah, I think it it's was, just, it's remarkable. It, it was For sure. It was just weird how it stopped right after he was born. Mm -hmm. I didn't have any. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I find that because like for me, I'm always wanting to know why dreams happen when they do and, and why they do stop or why they're not as frequent as people may want 
them to be. And so it's always just like playing with theories and talking to people and try to f- figure out some answers that, you know, can, can give us some understanding on, you know, what's actually going on. So as we, uh, as we move forward, I know you've had some other losses. Have you had any dreams of anyone else that has died? Yes, I dreamed, I had a really solid dream uh, not that long ago, a couple of months ago, and it was my grandma. So my grandma and my grandpa lived in Mount Forest, and they were extremely close. They were married 65 years. They died three months almost to the day apart from each other, and they just couldn't live without each other. It was amazing. I had this relationship that I always wanted with my grandma. My grandma was kind of a difficult person to get to know when I was young. She was adopted and she really struggled with her own mental health issues. And it was amazing when she was palliative, when she was dying in the hospital, that was when I really connected to her soul, her spirit. And through my dreams after she died, she, I have several I've had several dreams where I'm really having that soul conversation with her I'm really talking to her um, and she's telling me how she, proud she is of me how amazed that she's uh, she didn't talk to me the way she wanted to and it never came out she spends most of her time when she does talk to me she comes to me in dreams she's apologizing about herself and that's the biggest one is that really deep apology that how she felt bad for not coming to me and not talking to me for many years and really appreciative of who I have become. Wow, that's really beautiful. Does that change the way your relationship with her is? Like, has it, does it change how you see her? Definitely. And I think the, the biggest one was I always struggled because I always thought I never mattered with her. I really, I was one of four grandchildren and I always felt I was the oldest out of the grandchildren. And I always felt like I was the disappointment that I wasn't the one that she wanted because I didn't, wasn't the engineer. I wasn't this or I wasn't that. And I think it, it gave me reassurance. And I, yeah, I questioned if it was my own Maybe this is like my own uh, well-being that my grandma's being my positive reinforcement, but it was it was reassuring to wake up and go, oh my gosh, okay, I'm good. Like, wow, yeah, because very very much that those conversations that she was sorry and she was extremely proud of me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, some of those things um, that those feelings we get when we're children or even things that are blatantly told to us when we're children and we grow up uh, can be tough. We put that pressure on ourselves. So it's always nice, whether explicitly or implicitly told to us that it's okay and you're, don't worry and you're doing great. Uh, that's always a, uh, an amazing feeling, I think, from people who you, who you hold in the highest regards like your parents and your grandparents and stuff like that. For sure. For sure. Yeah, it's so interesting to sort of hear that. And I'm glad it, it helps because we also don't even know what we need, what we need to hear inside ourselves to give us that motivation to love who we are. Because it's amazing how, you know, small, it seems like small events or even just like different people's behaviors in the past really shape how we see ourselves when we look in the mirror and when we behave. And, and it's like those moments, like I look at that, I'm like, those moments can actually change the way you love yourself and how you have the confidence you have in who you've become. I agree. I agree. Most definitely. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah. And that's a big part of, uh, you know, growing up, knowing yourself, becoming an adult is, I guess, less relying less on how, how other people view you and how you, you see the world through the eyes of other people less and, and a little bit more going inwards and saying, well, how do I view this? How do I view the landscape around me? And uh, it's important uh-huh. to find that voice and find uh, that soul, which connects us to your business. <laughs> for sure. For sure. Um, it's a cool, it's a, it's a cool idea. So I, I like it. Can you explain a little bit more about that and how, what gave you this idea to kind of bring it all together? So I think where it all started was within the, the, the loss of my grandparents really was the loss of my grandparents and really through all of it just dealing and and connecting to my soul and really wanting to kind of reshape who I was as a person and really wanting to build on my circle as to who I was and that's where I came up with the name soul circle was through that very aspect and through it really wanting to keep the the people within my own circle as positive people as amazing connections that are good for my soul so it goes as a reciprocal um circle <laughs> aspect of it and yeah that was where i really at 2017 is where i kind of woke up and went okay i know i need to help and that was the big one where i really wanted to do everything that was brought it back to a full circle and really made it soulful. And what kind of, I guess, clients come to you and what are their needs? What services do you provide? The biggest people that are drawn to me are women. And I, the only thing I can come up with is men are afraid to be in touch with their emotions. Not that they, they can't feel, not that they don't. It's just, they, it's, it's hard. It's difficult. And where I have the bulk of my clients are women who are over the age of 50. And what I do is um, really I connect with the person and I get to know the person's energy. I am trained with Reiki and Indian head massage. And so I start with I have a massage table and I start with kind of getting to know them first. I sit down with a cup of tea and I really get to know that person and what they kind of want out of me, what they want me to know and where they want the session with me to go. And generally my sessions are about 75 to 90 minutes by the time we're done our little chat and then I have them laying on my table. And from there I'm able to connect it's amazing because they allow me to connect to them and through the, the, what I do, it's touch and it's about a matter of connecting to their spirit, connecting to their soul. And so through the massage aspect, I start with the the head and I massage the back up until the, the crown of the head. And then I kind of have them flip over. I move them to their, um, front and I massage their face and it is unbelievable the amount of people as soon as I massage the face it brings them back to being a child and it allows for emotional release to happen significantly and I don't stop it I put Kleenex on their their stomachs and I allow them to grieve openly and in a safe manner in a safe space 
because a lot of times people will affiliate greatly the touch of face with the mother's touch. And most often, a mother will only touch you on that level. So if they're grieving the loss of a parent, if they're even grieving the loss of a spouse, that's where that comes out. Through there, I then um, take, so I like to be able to connect people to the earth and be able to ground people on a greater level. So I have um, crystals or rocks that I use through, so I have training through like meridian lines and our energy lines. And I take uh, a crystal and I draw through the lines of our meridian lines, their meridian lines. And from that point, I move on to Reiki. So I start at the, the crown, so the head, and I work my way up to the feet. And it is amazing when I get to their feet, I can almost feel the energy of whatever they're holding on to uh, almost rising from who they are and helping to support them instead of bringing them down. And it is amazing. And I, I encourage that. I tell them what it is that I can see through their energy and their what it is that I'm witnessing. And it is amazing because it offers them that sense of peace. And I've had so many people tell me that they can't sleep. Sleeping is their number one thing because they're afraid to go to sleep. They're afraid to have those those dreams about them. They're afraid to go to sleep and really um, connect themselves to that ethereal world. And almost all of them, after they're done with the treatment that night, they have the most restful sleeps. Hmm. So it's uh, it's beautiful because I have... Oh, goodness. Number, a uh, number of clients that come and see me and they've stopped going to their massage therapist. They stopped going to their, um, chiropractors. They say just what I do, it just helps them because it was through emotional pain, um, emotional blockages and through the therapy and being that have, I'm offer an open, open space to be able to offer them that space to grief, which is huge, huge, huge. Wow. It's really beautiful. It sounds, uh, pretty, pretty interesting and comforting like you it seems like you provide a very comforting space for people uh an open space where people can share connection with you and yeah you'd have to be someone who is is open and good at fostering uh that connection uh and obviously your training has probably allowed you to understand how to do that and it's just uh I could see that. I could see it be very beneficial because I think in, in a lot of situations as, as adults, most people aren't really touched like that, especially laying on a table, having someone massage your face, uh, massage your head, really. I mean, even even people in, in, in relationships, like uh, it's not it's not as common as we, I think we think in terms right. of uh, touch and especially keeping it uh, non-sexual. And, and I think, you know, that type of touch is not very common. Like you might hug a friend, but we're not like even even compared to like, you know, European standards where they're hugging and kissing a lot more than we are in North America. We're very like keep our keeping our space. And I could see it actually being really great for men to get involved and come to you because, you know, like you said, I, I you know, there was some truth in what you said. A lot of us are fearful of those emotions and, and it might not it, it might even be added layer to that of where we've just uh, adapted ourselves to the norms and say, well, society says I'm not supposed to have these emotions or I'm not supposed to, you know, cry. I'm not supposed to be in this space. So I'm just going to keep up with that. Um, you know, or maybe they were raised by people who 
were really strict and wanted them to, you know, keep their roles. But yeah, I think men or women, um, you know, hugging, touching uh, with the face, especially massaging those things. And again, you, you're providing that atmosphere and allowing that person to, to share, which is the biggest thing because often, you know, that's lacking in our society. In a lot of situations, people go to work and let's say you've had a death, you know, maybe they'll send flowers, maybe not, you know, maybe you go there, mm-hmm. maybe your boss will come up to you and say, Hey, sorry about your loss. But you know, there's, there's not just not much else going on after that. Unless they're your kin, unless they're your immediate family or your close friends, you just don't get the support uh, sometimes. And then, th- and that's, that's if you have family and support, like imagine you're living alone and like someone, you know, dies or your spouse dies. It'd be great to go to a place where you can get a more connection and, and just have someone adhere to your needs a little bit deeper than uh, the superficial. Mm-hmm. Well, and different For too. Sure. I, I, I kind of say like, it's, it's something to try to sort of see, does it change anything? I think that's what we have to do in, in life is continuing to try new things to see what we like and what works yeah. because one thing could work at one moment and then just doesn't work anymore. And it's just about keep your mind open to the possibilities and see what fits. And sometimes you don't know until you try. And that's, that's how I like, like to live life too. It's like, you try it and you say, do I feel different? Did it do anything? If not, okay, try something else. Like same thing with a therapist or anyone else you go, you, you just keep trying until you find that one that speaks to you in whatever way that is. And so, you know, it's, it's good that you have that service offered for people in the area. And so I'm curious. So as we wrap up the podcast, one of the questions we always like to ask is if you could have a dream tonight of someone who has died, who would that be? And what would that look like? It would be my brother. Um, I would really love to have a dream of my brother and really be able to connect with him and go, okay, what's going on? (laughs) What's really going on? I think that would be my biggest thing. Like, are you really my son? (laughs) That would be mine. Yeah. Those big questions of life. (laughs) That's so interesting. Yeah. Where would you be? Where would the location be? Oh, we'd be outside. Definitely. We would be outside. And I think that's where I connected with my brother the best was being outside and being allergic to the sun. I would be under the tree. He would be in the sunshine. Definitely. No, that's good. I like that. And I said, hopefully you get those answers. And if you do, let me know. Like, I'll be very curious <laughs> to sort of see that and to continue to hear more is that like, as you move through your, your journey, if those dreams have totally stopped or do they come again later on? I know even at end of life, like these pe- like people will state that they have these dreams. So it'd be very, you know, very, very interesting for me to keep up, like to get updated from you. And also if you hear any new dreams of your brothers from friends or family, that'll be very intriguing. Mm-hmm. Most definitely. Well, I'm registered for school in September, so I am, with any luck, I will get in. I'm still waiting to hear, but I'm registered to be a funeral director um, in September. I'm taking the school, but I'm doing it differently. I'm going to be focusing on green services, so not embalming. I'm avoiding the formaldehyde. And so I'm hoping within that aspect, so of learning greater and deeper within death services, I'm hoping that that sparks more dreams. (laughs) That is cool. I'm curious too, just as we wrap up, do you hear about these dreams of the deceased from your clients? 
Oh, definitely. And I actually ask people if they dream about people. And generally, that gives me a better understanding as to who's close to them. I'm glad you asked, because that's one of the things that they probably never get asked. So it's nice that there's someone at least asking about those dreams and, you know, how they feel about those. So th that's good. I'm glad you're doing that. Mm -hmm. Yes. And I definitely am not afraid to pass off your information. That one is a for sure. Big for sure. Mm -hmm. <laughs> well, thank you. We appreciate that. And so <laughs> where can people find your stuff if they're in the Kitchener-Waterloo area? <laughs> where can they find yes. your services? Uh, so you can go to www.thesoulcircle.ca is the best location to find me. Excellent. Uh, again, thank you so much, uh, Krista. This was enjoyable. It's beautiful. And uh, we just wanted to uh, thank you again for coming on. And it takes a lot of courage. And, and thank you so much for, for also doing what you do and also being a listener of the podcast. So we hope you enjoyed this episode. If you want to know more about the topic, you can do so at griefdreams.ca. If you wanted to support the podcast, you can contribute through the links on our website. And we'd like to thank all those who continue to support us. Um, so yeah, on the website, you can find out two online courses by Dr. Joshua Black and Jade Carling Black. And so there are two courses and one of them is a grief dreams workshop. And so this is going to help you gain the necessary skills to discuss the topic of grief dreams in a way that facilitates the processing of grief. Uh, you're going to learn about the topics of sleep, dreams in general, grief and trauma, and of course, grief dreams. And the second one is called Crazy in Love, Using Romantic Relationships as a Vehicle for Growth. This one's a yeah, super organic course it's designed to make you rethink modern intimate relationships. They discuss how to use your own intimate relationship um, or lack thereof to passionately fuel your personal growth and build valuable skills that will last you a lifetime. And of course, if you're on Facebook, you can follow our Grief Dreams podcast page to be notified of when we release new episodes. And you can also join the Grief Dreams Facebook group or uh, to share your dreams or hear more dreams of others. And we're on, on Instagram and Twitter at Grief Dreams. Uh, so as always, like to end the podcast with love and gratitude from us to you. Just myself, you have introduced yourself. This is a very good conversation.